December 1st. Happy, yeah, yes, that's what it'll be. It'll be December 1st. Uh, Merry Christmas, early, or other holidays. Happy holidays. Yes, yeah, sorry. For Happy Hanukkah or Kwanzaa. Yeah. Does Hanukkah always happen in December? It does always happen in December. Last year it was very early. I don't know when it is this year. I think it's fairly early this year, too. We, uh, you were Jewish, but... Alana's also Jewish. I am. And it always happens in December? Last year, it started on Thanksgiving, which was oh, very right. weird. Very early. It was right. very yes. weird. Super early. Yeah. It's yes. confusing. Yes, it was confusing. <laughs> and Hanukkah's confusing enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Welcome to my first time! <laughs> Yay! I'm Mary uh, Smith. I'm Colleen Smith. No, no relation. relation. Um, we With us is our uh, technical wizard, Ian Smith. Ian Smith. Who is yeah, related to me. Um, and then our yes, and then our guests. Well, let's tell us our topic first. Oh, so our topic this month is the first time my body betrayed me medically. Yes. 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 Oh, I guess the, my first time my body betrayed me. Yeah. Should I re say that? Yeah, it's medically because it's also like medical trauma. Oh, biologically. Yeah. Yeah. The first time my body betrayed me. Yeah, but medically. And let's face it, it's happened many times, but tonight we're going to be talking about the first There's time. commas and apostrophes. Sure. Um, we have amazing guests. We have Tanya McClure returning. Returning. You remember her last time from uh, the first time I adopted a pet. Yes. Yeah. We have Alana Cohen-Sullivan. Do you mm-hmm. like that? Yes. And we have Peter Fluet. There is a T at the end of his name, but, but it is he's French. French. <laughs> he's like Colbert, but he actually does have a French name. Right. An Irish Catholic yep. man. Um... All right, I think it's time. Who's starting tonight? I'm starting. We'll start with Colleen Smith. Okay, so when we were coming up with this topic, it was actually inspired by other people's amazing stories, and we were trying to find a theme that brought everyone's together. And the very obvious one was the fact that I have seizures, and I didn't get seizures until I was 29, so it was a very big surprise to me. And I was trying to think of my seizure story, and I had some stuff that was sort of interesting. And I realized that most of the fun seizure details are uh, for the people who have witnessed the seizures, mostly my sister. And she's got lots of comedy details. (laughs) You know, the noises I made, how terrifying it was for her. Uh, but you were basically taking a nap during the whole thing. Well, not. I mean, it was. It's actually. There's. I have an experience, but it's awful and horrifying and 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 scary and depressing, um, and then weirdly comedic. Um, <laughs> yes, as most comedy is. Yes, as most comedy is. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing, because I, I was thinking of like a theme that brings everything together, was I learned from seizures. Uh, a truth about myself, which is once I, because the seizure is like a weird reboot. And when you come back, when you officially come back from your seizure, you don't know where you are. You don't know what time it is, a day it is, and all that kind of stuff. And when people start to pull at you to try to figure out what you remember, almost always like the first thing I remember is something like nice about something someone else did in the day. Like I'll be like, you had a really great improv or like, oh, I remember you looked really pretty today. Like it's something very kind. And I was like, I don't know that I'm a particularly kind person, but when my, my system is rebooted, the first thing that occurs to me are nice things, which is nice because the brain is normally filled with anxiety and anxiousness. Um, so, uh, Another thing I've realized is a, a, a truth about myself because I was like, actually, the my most traumatic medical experience was when I slipped and fell and broke my elbow. And my roommate, when I was telling him this, was like, oh, that that time uh, you fell off the bike and broke your elbow? And I was like, oh, no, 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 not that time. <laughs> this other time. <laughs> and then I realized 
Uh, I mentioned the bike time where I fell off a dirt bike and uh, the foot peg went into my knee and I had to take out my own stitches because I didn't have medical insurance. And he meant the time I fell off a bike because I thought a car was going to hit me and I swerved to get out of the way and hit a move, I mean a parked car mm -hmm. and fell off my bike and hyperextended my arm and I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so then I, the thing I realized about myself is I'm a horrible klutz, which we've known for years. I fell off a horse at someone's wedding and the only person who fell off a horse <laughs> Um, uh, at a wedding? Well, it was part of like the wedding activities like during the week. And and until a woman fell off the whitewater rafting tour and like dislocated her shoulder, <laughs> I was the girl who fell off the horse. Um, and I always fall off of things at the wrong time. Like I fell off the horse halfway through the trip. So like an hour into riding a horse, I fell off the horse and then had to ride back on the same horse an hour back, like terrified. Um, so, um, so it's like, yes, my body betrays me. So the my body betraying me thing and then horrible traumatic medical exper experiences. Um, I walked into my bedroom and um, it was messy and dark and I s stepped on a piece of cardboard that was probably like an insert, like you know they put t-shirts, like packaged t-shirts uh, or something like that. Yeah. I stepped on it and I slipped and like my legs went out from underneath me and I my elbow hit my desk Ooh. and then went down onto the carpet and I live in a uh, shitty apartment building so it's like carpet a little bit of padding and then just cement floor and i made the worst noises like you know the grape lady from uh the internet who's like oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, horrible noises like just absolute sheer pain noises and um our walls are so thin that our neighbor who was friends with us heard me through the walls oh. and I was in such agony pain and she could hear my dog barking at me trying to like get at me because he he heard me making those noises that in the midst of my sister running in to hear me going oh, 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 <laughs> and pulling blue off of me who's like barking at me and trying to like lick me and make things better um then the doorbell is like ringing because she's convinced I'm alone in the house and something horrible is happening <laughs> yeah so Jennifer has to be like it's Fine. What? Ah, ah, and like close the door on me so Blue can't get in there and be like, because his concern is concern, but he's also a 60 pound Labrador, so it's a lot of like clawing at you. <laughs> so it's a Saturday, and um, uh, we finally like figure out, okay, something's very, very wrong with your elbow. Let's go to the doctor's office. And I went to the motion picture, television, whatever thing in Burbank, and I walk in, and it's early in the morning, and. Um, I walk in and I'm like, hi, um, I don't have an appointment, but I, I think I wrote my elbow. And my experience with all the other times that I've hurt myself, and it's been many, is that it's never broken. It's always like a sprain. It's always something swollen, something's bruised. So I'm pretty sure that this is just uh, that. But I'm in so much pain that this woman feels really bad for me. And she's like, even though we don't have room and there's no doctors here, by the way, on the weekends. Um, <laughs> There is an x-ray technician, which I think makes you a radiologist. I'm not sure. But so uh, I go in, the nurse practitioner looks at it. The I get an x-ray done. The nurse practitioner looks at it. And she's like, I'm pretty sure it's just sprained. I'm like, eh, okay, I guess it's sprained. And I, she said, don't worry, though. On Monday, when the doctor comes in, he will look at the x-rays. I was like, okay. And this is Saturday. This is Saturday okay. morning. Okay. <laughs> so, and, and all you ever get when you they think it's a sprain is like, take a lot of ibuprofen and ice it. So I managed to go through all of Saturday until 
the night when it's like impossible to sleep. And thank God everyone in my household has had various surgeries throughout the years and doesn't take painkillers recreationally. So we, <laughs> we all have, no, not an abundance. We had, I believe, three Vicodin that either belonged to my roommate from his like t- teeth being pulled out or Jennifer, my sister's teeth being pulled out. There was Vicodin left over from something. So Saturday night, I take a Vicodin and sleep on the couch and barely survive. Sunday morning, I get up and teach weirdly i don't know how i did it i don't know why i wasn't the cruelest human being that's ever lived i learned another thing about myself um sunday night uh same thing like sleep on the couch take second vicodin um monday morning like bright and early get a phone call from the doctor who's like you have severely broken your elbow oh, Jesus. yeah did you have it like wrapped when you i were had teaching? it wrapped was yeah there? wrapped in like sort of ice but yeah teaching i had it in like a sling Ugh. And I was, see, this is another thing, and I love that Ian's here for this. I my mom's a nurse, so we grew up in a household, and she's gonna be so sad when she hears this. But this household of like you, you sling things. So like my sister broke her collarbone, and it's like there's nothing to do for a collarbone but yeah. put it in a sling. Or um, Ian had appendicitis, but we had to finish dinner before we went to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> But I understand it. This is not criticizing my mom. She's going to feel so guilty about this. But it's this idea of, like, you... Because most of the time when I thought something was wrong, I went, and they're like, no, nothing's wrong. You just yeah. bruised a bone. Or even when you... My sister broke her collarbone. I was like, put it in a sling. My mom's like, yep, that's what I've been doing. So it's like, you know, what are you going to do? Um, so in my mind, it's just like, it's a bad bruise. But then the guy's like, no, you've fully broken it. And um, severely. Yeah, severely broken. Jesus. So he's like, you've fully broken it. I'm setting you up with this really good orthopedic surgeon. He's going to look at it on Tuesday. <sighs> so, But no one says at any point, but by the way, are you in severe pain? Would you like a prescription for painkillers? So it's just like, okay. So I hang up. I survive Monday. My third Vicodin is done. So I sleep Monday night with my Vicodin. So Tuesday I go in, and my favorite part about this is I walk into the most beautiful doctor's office I've ever walked into in my life. Um, it's all rock and roll pictures because my orthopedic surgeon used to be part of Shanana. (laughs) It's so beautiful. And then they're like, Colleen. And a male, like, model man comes walking out in a suit. And, like, and I think he's just, like, a medical intern or something. Um, and escorts me back. And, uh, I meet the men from Shanana, who's the delight. We take (laughs) x-rays. And he, and I'm like, so what's going on? And he's like, basically... You fell, and a bone in your elbow, like, flipped up. So it's flipped up, and that's why you can't straighten it, because it's, like, butting against the other bones. And so I was like... It's like you literally have a wrench in the work. Yeah, there's literally just like a... Yeah. And and I I thought... oh So I said, like, a dope. I was like, all right, so I'm going to be in, like, a cast. And he's like, oh, no. Because there's that weird period of time between when your bones are brittle and then when your bones are like young and flexible, where the they're hard and they're good bones, but when oh, they how break, old are you when this it's like 31. Okay. And I asked too. I said, um, like, am I is something wrong with my bones? Because I always prided myself on my thick, robust, sniff bones. And he's like, no, you have really strong bones. It's just that your bones are hard when you're an adult and you hit it at the exact right angle, right angle, and like we don't really do casts anymore. Like we do surgery. So it was like, you have to have surgery, and we're going to try to get you into surgery today. I'm just like, okay. And then, like, the female hot model intern woman (laughs) escorts me out. Um, But no one still asks me if I need painkillers. 
So uh, I get a phone call later in the day that's like, and I think they didn't want to give me painkillers because I was supposed to have surgery. Right. And they also mm-hmm. said, don't eat anything. Yes. Yes. And I'm pretty sure Ian gave me a ride to this doctor's appointment, but maybe not. But yeah, you're not supposed to eat anything because you might have surgery. So I'm not eating. I have no painkillers in my body. And I've now just found out like a bone is flipped up in my <laughs> body. And I have to have surgery. So they call me. So this is Tuesday. I broke it on Saturday. They call me and say, it's not going to happen until Wednesday. So I, I don't know how I got through uh, Tuesday night, uh, but it was the same thing like, don't eat because you have to be prepped for surgery Wednesday morning. So I go in Wednesday, um, Shauna Na and his <laughs> <laughs> uh, assistant come in and I'm there and they do that thing where they mark your arm and it's, I understand that they mark what they're going to do surgery on because they don't want to do surgery on the wrong limb. But, like, one arm was just, like, there being an arm, like, existing. And the other <laughs> arm is just this angry, swollen mass oh, of hate. Like, I don't know how anyone could get confused. And then, you know, they wheel me down into surgery. And I made some sort of death joke. Like, they were like, so we're going to give you the sedative and whatever before we put the thing on you. And I was like, hey, man, guys, if I die, like, nice to meet you. And everyone looks at you. <laughs> That's not a joke to make. It's a, yeah, it's almost like you said, uh, what is it, if you say Macbeth in the theater right, kind right. of thing. I'm like, don't joke about dying. Anyway, it was like, oh, okay, tough room. And so, <laughs> so uh, you know, then you do that thing of you count down and you pass out. And the next thing I wake up and I'm in just a horrible amount of pain in the uh in the, the the room, recovery the recovery room, and they said, uh, we're going to keep you here overnight because you're in more pain than we expected, which it turned out, so they cut me open, they put two screws in Ooh. and three pins, and there's like wires in there, and I just thought, you drilled and shoved pins into my bone, what level of pain would I be in? Then I'd be like, cool, I'll go home. Um, and so they were like, we're going to keep you here. And I was like, okay. And also, there is a thing about redheads where apparently redheads are, they're more sensitive to heat pain and they are less, they they can have a really high tolerance for pain medication. So a lot of times redheads will require more anesthetic to go out and more painkillers to, yeah, I don't know why, but there's something about redheads. So that might have been it, but they'd given me a morphine thing, and I'd never had morphine before, and it was one of those clicker things, mm. and I'm clicking, 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 and the nurse is like, you, it's, it'll only click every five minutes, and I was like, okay, and then I'd just click, 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 and then finally it would go, and I could feel like the pain subsiding, and it would be horrible, and then and Ian and Jennifer came to visit me, and um, finally I passed out. And then I woke up the next morning and I got up and it was that horrible, I guess, morphine sickness where you're just nauseous and sick. And I was like, oh, God. And <laughs> I got up to go to the bathroom and I come back and I laid out and the nurse comes in maybe like an hour later. And she's like, you haven't used your morphine in like 10 hours. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was sleeping and, and it doesn't hurt as bad anymore. She's like, well, I'm taking it away then. Oh. Like, mad at me. Like, look at this jerk who had all this free morphine and didn't use it. <laughs> She's like, well, so uh, the other lesson I learned, well, so I'll, I'll sum it up. So anyway, I get released that day. Um, and they, of course, give me Vicodin to s- sustain myself for the next couple of days. And uh, and I only used the Vicodin for the amount of time I needed it. And then I had leftover to be there when I get my horrible once a year bronchitis that makes me feel like I'm going to die. Um, but much as I've learned in seizures, 
that uh, I, I go to the kindness or the goodness of someone in the day. I've learned from horrible, crippling pain that A, I can teach an improv class. <laughs> Um, that uh, I can crack hilarious jokes about death at death's door, and I am not a painkiller addict. And that's my story. Well done. Yay! Yay. I, I just have to say, like, do you wonder, like, when you passed out, like, did, like, a big Shauna music video break out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brady like a grease fantasy from the movie where they're just like singing and dancing and do walking while they cut you open. Like he literally just like uh, it's like whips out a comb and starts doing. He has a random, or it's like Shauna must play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say this guy was great. He was a delight. I would recommend him to people, but I feel like not saying his name because you can just look up Shauna not doctor and you'll find him. Please let it be Bowser. That's my story. Uh, All right, I believe. Call me in the water. That microphone. So uh, my story is kind of embarrassing because uh, it's about my first and only STD experience. (laughs) So, but I was young, so it it felt like a really big deal. But really, it wasn't because it's only HPV and everybody has HPV. But, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just. Right? right yeah. Everybody has it. Guys don't know they have it, but they all have it and they give it to you. Um, and I was, I was young. I was in college. And the truth is, I'm not exactly sure who gave it to me. <laughs> but I, I wasn't like the raging slut I was in my late 20s. So I could narrow it down to two people. And one was a boyfriend that I had had for a really long time who was going on tour with his ska band. <laughs> it was him. Yeah. <laughs> There's, right, I don't need to go any further. Yeah. It was probably him. Um, I mean, but it was my decision. I was like, let's take a break. There's going to be groupies. Maybe I should date other people. And I dated a very handsome man who is now a news anchor. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say his name. He probably didn't give me HPV, but I kind of hope it was him. Is he a Shanana news anchor? He's a Shanana news anchor. <laughs> um, I hope there's a Shanana news anchor. Um, so, yes, my boyfriend came back from Ska Band tour, and we had sex, and I went for uh, my annual pap because I was moving to Los Angeles. I'm from New Jersey. So, which I, uh, 100% of people in, in New Jersey have HPV. Well, and, and, I, and you have to interject, but like if, before you go to Africa, you get a shot from malaria. Before you go to California. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and you just get rid of your STDs. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I was moving to Los Angeles and I was like, okay, I'm going to take care of this. I went to Dr. Friedel, who, uh, just for an image, he's like someone you would see at like a further festival like Grateful Dead like long ponytail <laughs> hair and I never like really thought he was creepy until later in life when I thought about him and I was like oh he totally like made comments to me and my my friends or my cousins went there too and he would be like oh you have such a like nice vagina like it would comment on our <laughs> which is I, like at the time you're like oh thanks but later you're like ooh, you're you're commenting on a 20 year old vagina that's really actually fucking creepy and probably unprofessional and terrible and should be reported but what are you gonna do so uh so i got a pap and it was abnormal and he was like okay come back in we'll do a biopsy so i did that and he was like you have precancerous cells which is very scary 
And this was like before, I, I don't think I knew anybody who had been treated for HPV. So I was like, oh my God, I have an STD. This is horrible. I have pre-cancer. I'm going to die. You know, and it was like a bit, and he was like, don't worry. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. But it was scary. And um, he gave me some options of how to treat it. And I don't remember what the other ones were, but one was to do cryotherapy, which is they like freeze your cervix with li liquid nitrogen. So I opted for that one. I think you could get scraped, which sounds uh, worse. Oh, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. so I was like, okay, freeze, freeze me. That sounds oh, not as painful. I don't know. Scraped. Right? Just... the only man here. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Welcome to womanhood. Oh, yeah. So the freezing was going to happen. And it, this, it, so it was now inching into like, I'm moving to Los Angeles. Um, in the beginning of October, and it's like end of August, and I was like, oh my God, I have to have this thing done. And he was like, well, I have a very busy schedule, and he like basically had like one time, and I was like, great, I'll do it. So um, my mom took off of work, and I actually took off of work too. At the time, I was working at Jim and 105, the heart and soul of New York. Uh, <laughs> Is no longer a radio station, but they were in the top five syndicate radio stations at the we time. We believe you. <laughs> uh, and so I took off work. My mom took off work. She usually works in Rockefeller Center, or she was at the time. And uh, I woke up that morning to go get my cervix frozen. <laughs> and I, like, got, as you do, I got out of bed. I'd set my alarm because I was 20 and liked sleeping till noon. So I set my alarm for nine, so I get out of bed, and I go into the living room, the TV's on, and I'm like, that's weird, and I sit down on the couch, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? And I'm watching, like, this weird end of days movie, and I'm like, what the fuck, what the fuck is this? And then an uh, airplane hits, and I'm watching... Oh shit! The Twin Towers go down, I'm, and I have no idea what the fuck is happening because I just woke up, and my mom is gone. My mom just like, my mom has a weird way of dealing with things, and she just panicked and went to the grocery store to get milk. I mean, she just she like she heard, she saw, she watched the first plane, and then was at the grocery store to get fucking. I was like, why wouldn't you wake me up? This is the craziest thing that's ever happened. Ever. Yeah. This is horrible. Why wouldn't you? Why did you leave me sleeping? I was very, it took a long time to recover from that. <laughs> anyway, so yes, it's 9 11 and it's the worst day ever. I mean, there's, you know, what it, What can you say? It's, there's, there's nothing to say. It's 9 11. Yeah. Um, but I have this appointment at 10 30. So <laughs> <laughs> my mom and I are like, holy shit, you know, we're trying to call people and no, no phones are working. It's just, and we're like, you know, we're 45 minutes outside the city. So we are there, but you can't contact anyone. And it's such an awkward, you know, we're just like, oh, fuck. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess we just go to this appointment. I have to go to this appointment. So we get there and the TV's on in the lobby and the mood is, you know, everybody is just in horrific shock and wondering if their friends and family are okay. And, and we, I just fucking go into the office and I sit down in the stirrups and I mean, nobody's talking. Like no one's like, hey, good to see. I mean, it's, it's just, it is a day of complete silence and horror and no, no one's saying anything. This is like so, I can't even imagine that you're so vulnerable that this is what's happening. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes. It was really intense. So I sit down in the chair. <laughs> and the doctor's like, it's not, this shouldn't be too painful. It's not going to take too long. And I was like, oh, okay. And I'm scared because it's like my first procedure, you know? Yeah. And it's in my vagina. It's really intense. And he's doing it and it doesn't hurt that bad. And then all of a sudden there's just like, a horrible searing pain. And I was like, what is happening? What is happening? Oh my God, oh my God. And I just start like screaming and crying. And he starts screaming. And he's like, <laughs> and I was like, what is that? And he's screaming. He's like, nurse, 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 I need a sponge stick. I need a sponge stick. I was like, what is happening? Somebody tell me what is happening. And I'm just in a crazy amount of pain. The cryotherapy machine, it's a long rod that shoots liquid nitrogen at your insides it broke and froze to my cervix <laughs> so ow uh i don't think this whole thing took that long like the nurse came in pretty quickly with a sponge stick which is just basically like pliers with a sponge on it and he had to manually defrost it from my cervix exactly like a Christmas story for Jews. Um, so I, he did it and he was like, it's okay. I was done. This, this, <laughs> we don't have to go back in. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what happened? And he was like, well, the machine malfunctioned. It, it stopped squirting its juice. I don't know. And it froze to your cervix. And I was like, okay. And I just, I, I left. And my mom and I went to the grocery store. <laughs> or to a, a farmer's market, actually. And we picked up some fresh sandwiches. Um, and yet, we're not talking. There's no, there's no conversation. This is all of September 11th. Just in silence and confusion on so many different levels and and when i've told people about this thing that's happened they're like D did you like sue the doctor or what and i was like it was fucking 9-11 <laughs> like it was 9 and he could have punched me in the face and i would have been like listen it's 9 it's 9-11 it's that kind of day i mean there's nothing jesus so i just love how jewish you are that you guys just went and got deli <laughs> I yeah. just love that on yeah. any other day than that one, you could have made the claim, this was the worst day ever. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and everyone would have agreed. And it would have been... But it's hard to even it's hard to even talk about it. And then, and then you know, the aftermath of people being like, where were you on 9-11? <laughs> <laughs> just tell my story. Uh, <laughs> I was getting my HPV frozen off. Yeah, I was supposed to be in the city, and it's actually a good thing I wasn't, because I would have been stuck there, but um, <laughs> that's all you need to know about that. Oh, oh, oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Holy it's shit. Insane. So, luckily I haven't had any STDs since then. Right. <laughs> yes. And everything works. Because you've had children. I've or had a, a baby. child. Yeah. yeah. So oh, he didn't right. break it. He didn't oh break God. it. Because I actually was wondering about that. And then that's one of those questions where you don't want to ask. Right. So hooray. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> totally working. 
<laughs> All right, Peter, are you ready to follow that action? I'll try. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, much like Colleen, um, I also have had seizures. Uh, mine came earlier uh, when you're, from what I understand from my neurologist, about the time you're supposed to have them. So mine happened when I was about 15 years old. Um, it was my sophomore year of high school, and the thing I thought about the most that entire year was finally being able to drive and finally being able to, like, get away from my parents. <laughs> um, to the point I had worked all the school year to pay for my own driving lessons. I was so excited. So three weeks before summer starts, I'm supposed to start these driving lessons. I'm uh, in my English class. I had this uh, weird English teacher, uh, <laughs> Mrs. Nicolay, who I think had like seen a movie or two where like someone goes into inner city school, changes everybody's <laughs> lives. <laughs> And she said to herself, that's the kind of teacher I'm going to be. I'm going to be like the most real liberal teacher in a fairly liberal suburb of Chicago. Um, so the way that she showed like, you know, what a rebel she was and how different was, she would speak to us like we were at the same level, which can be cool. Um, and at other times is extremely inappropriate um, because we have, I wish I could remember the book but in the book it had been alluded to that this woman had had an abortion right so we discussed like oh my god this character in this book had an abortion and all of a sudden out of nowhere she goes you guys will never understand you guys will just never understand you guys want to know some truth huh? <laughs> Now, here's the thing that I should let you know. Um, one of the things that my doctor said showed signs that I was probably prone to having seizures was my whole life, when I was younger, I would pass out. Um, and my dad basically ascribed it to me being a humongous pussy. Because whenever I would hear stories about blood or someone being injured, I'd immediately feel woozy. So as soon as this woman said, like, I'm going to tell you what an abortion is like, immediately I was like, well, this could be problematic. I should. I know this. I can. I can feel. I can already feel like this is not the story that I want to hear. And she goes. And even on top of it, I was the one that had the abortion. So I'm like, oh god. Like, it's not even gonna be technical. It's gonna be like personal. Um, so she starts talking about it in the most graphic detail. And as a 15-year-old guy, I'm not saying you shouldn't know those things, but you don't want it told by a woman who wants to expand your mind and show you what, like, a hot shit teacher she is, because she's, like, putting so much emphasis on vacuums and things like that, where, so then I can feel it. I can feel like, oh, this isn't a conversation for me. Pete's going to have to go to the men's room, go to a stall, and quietly lie down on the floor and pass out wake up a little sweaty and pretend like nothing's happened, right? And at this point, I just assume, like, my dad's right. Oh, I can't just listen to stuff like this. So I start walking out of the room, and as I'm walking out of the room, I suddenly smell, uh, like, orange peels boiling, and I'm, my mouth is filled with this taste of chocolate-covered cherries. I'm trying to remember when did I eat chocolate-covered cherries, and from a distance, like, I like hear children laughing or screaming or something, and I'm like, are there kids outside? And I'm like, this is just, all right, you know, and suddenly, it's not even like tunnel vision, it's like this square 
vision where the whole room starts getting longer and longer and longer. I'm like, oh boy, I think I'm gonna think I'm <laughs> gonna pass out here. And uh, so now I decide to like break into a run, hoping that maybe by um, by getting my blood flowing, that like maybe I can hold off passing out. Instead, all I literally do is take a step forward and land flat on my face, <laughs> and my bottom teeth oh. go through oh. my upper lip, oh. right? So, oh. which, as embarrassing as that would be, um, <laughs> if I had just passed out, at the very worst, it would have been like, ah, a stitch in my mouth, I get a few days off from school. Instead, I go into full-blown grand mall oh seizure in the middle of a classroom <laughs> full of sophomores. Um, so, for from what I understand, the first 30 seconds of this was a humongous debate on whether I was faking it or not. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and at which point, somebody, some girl said, we should probably turn him over. Like, he's really, he's really grinding his face into that floor. Um, at which point, my teacher um, exclaimed, I have two years of nursing school. I got this. I got this. Right? Now, when I was a sophomore, I was uh, almost six feet. I was about 185 pounds at that point. I was a football player. So she's like, I'm flipping him over. And literally, I guess this woman could not <laughs> flip me over. So then she had to get other guys to help flip uh, me over. But at this point, um, I don't know. There's blood everywhere? There's blood all really over the floor. Oh so God. now my mouth is bleeding. So there's yeah. blood everywhere. And to make it worse, it's my first seizure. Um, and when you have a seizure, you don't know what like uh, your bowels and stuff are going to do. So yeah. at this point, I have completely pissed myself <laughs> and not even like oh i took a piss 20 minutes before class this is just the leftover this was like i was in class like god i should probably take a piss at some point because like i really have to go oh. so now there's an argument between the teacher and the other football players that are in this class going we don't want to touch him he's covered in piss and blood and the fact if they don't turn me over i could potentially die so they get me over and then um, the teacher says, I've got this. And then my oh, best no. friend told me that she literally tried to pull me out of the room <laughs> and then wouldn't let anybody help her. Like, I, it, I won't lie. I feel like when an epileptic seizure happens, uh, it's very similar to how it was like 500 years ago where people have absolutely <laughs> no idea what to do. Yeah. Where I think like in a very primal, primal animal mind portion of it is, some people look at it and go, kill it. Just kill it. I don't understand this. Kill it. Just kill it. Just, we'll all stop feeling uncomfortable if we could just kill this thing. Um, so thankfully, um, my friend, you know, basically told her, you know, F you, and went running to go get our dean, who was a humongous dude who would, like, you know, beat the crap out of students. Um, so he comes in, and, like, they get in an argument about, like, I've got him. No, I'll get him. I've got him. I'll get him. And then I guess, like, the class went crazy because then he was like just shut up you fucking bitch Whoa! and everyone was like oh finally someone said it and like so he wait to it, your teacher yeah, yeah to oh, my teacher to right okay. not to me he, he's dragging me out of the room and as he's dragging me out of the room 
the most uh, terrifying man in the world for all of these students splits his pants. <laughs> so now, like, kids are laughing and going crazy, and girls are crying, and um, they call the they call the ambulance and stuff. And this is a small. Well, it was a small town. Now it's uh, it's much more. It's much larger. But at the time, it was really sleepy. Nothing really happened there. So when they got the call, like, "Hey, there's a kid. He's having a seizure." It was like two fire trucks, four <laughs> cops. Like anyone who had nothing to do that day oh, showed up. <laughs> so like it was a barrage of cops and firemen and ambulance guys all running into the school. So. They all show up, and my dean is fighting with my teacher, and the class is complete chaos. And this paramedic says, does anyone realize this kid's not breathing? (gasps) It turned out I had stopped breathing. And based on their estimation, while everyone had been fighting and things had been going crazy, I had like basically swallowed and choked my tongue and had stopped (gasps) breathing for nearly a minute. Oh, my God. So, the EMTs, like, you know, resuscitate me. And I feel bad for them. Because at this point, it's like, on the best day for an EMT, it's like, God, maybe, like, at least I'll get someone of the opposite sex or someone who I'm sexually attracted to to give CPR to. You know? But this is, like, literally the worst. Where it's like, this kid has a humongous, gross, bloody face. And uh, he still hasn't learned how to shave correctly yet, so you know it's going to just be rough doing that and bloody on top of it. And it was like the early 90s, too. So, like, I, I remember later when something similar happened, there was a big debate over, you know, we have to be very careful because this kid might have AIDS. And I guess there was some murmurings from cops who were watching it going, I wouldn't do that. The kid might have fucking AIDS right now. Uh, <laughs> so... They put me on a stretcher. They start rolling me out of the down the hallway. And my best friend told me, he goes, "It was awful to watch because I'm your best friend, and it's it was scary and it was terrifying. And all I could think was like, maybe if Peter's lucky, the only people that will know what's happened fully are the people in this classroom. Like maybe it'll be a rumor that he can like." kind of talked down like it wasn't that bad you know um and he goes and he he really wanted that for me because that year we had said you know what we're turning this high school thing around (laughs) this is the like we had been started getting invited to parties like we felt like oh man we're making becoming cool and he's like i felt like you were at a real critical juncture and i just was praying to god like the rest of the school didn't find out about this and literally as soon as they wheeled me down to the big foyer of the school bell rings it's like out of a movie everyone comes out everyone sees me on a stretcher and they're just like is that peter fluet is he dead oh my god he's dead he's dead and then they had like a blanket over me but as they were wheeling me out the blanket like fell off so that everyone could see that i had completely wet my pants too And so then uh, I ended up waking up in a hospital, and much like you, uh, my brain had to completely reboot. And so I literally, my memories had to rebuild themselves when I first kind of came out of it. Like I was 
around four or five years old, and my mom was just like, what is he talking about? Like, Legos this and Legos that? Why is he talking about that? And this, this, nurse was, this nurse was just like, it's okay. This is the process. Uh. And to this day, my mom has taken that nurse's words to heart, where she's like, if it ever happens, don't be scared. Just remember, it's part of the process. And it's like, it's a ridiculous process. Yes. It's a stupid, ridiculous process where it's also... Uh, terrible because I remember when I had a seizure in college, um, this very nice, very beautiful girl, like literally put my head into her lap. And as my memories were rebooting and I was kind of coming back out of it, I'm like, I wonder who this person is. And then I was like, boy, she sure is pretty. I wonder who, the, boy, she seems to really care about. And then like, there's definitely a point where I was like still in high school memory. I'm like, oh my God, I think I might be in college and maybe this is my girlfriend. <laughs> Holy cow, we did! Me and my best friend, we turned it around! And then I suddenly realized, like, oh no, this is like a very good friend. And she's made it clear we are very good friends and will be nothing more. Um, and the one thing I do remember is late night, that same nurse who told my mom, it's part of the process, came into my room and for no reason stared at me for a minute and then said, you realize the ancient Greeks believed that um, people who had seizures were touched by the gods. So God touched you today. <laughs> and I was literally like, God is like a pedophile. This is the worst, this is the worst touch I've ever had. <laughs> oh, what an asshole. Oh, that nurse. I hate that nurse. Yeah, I'm actually really lucky as far as my epilepsy goes that I have several uh, hallucinations that cue me that I have about 45 seconds before I go into a seizure. And uh, oh, wow. all my seizures are grand mal. So it gives, it's very lucky because then I know like, all right, 45 seconds to find a place where I'm not going to be able to yeah. hurt like myself. Like you driving or something, you have time. Yeah, I got time to pull over to the side of the road. Yeah. Wow. Wowzers. I peed myself. The, the first time I had a seizure, I didn't pee myself. The second time I did, and we went to the emergency room, and Ray Pruitt from uh, and O, and then he had a different character in The Heights. Remember he wrote that song, How Do You Talk to an Angel? Yes. Was my EMT. He's an EMT now. And I looked up, and I was like, that's Ray Pruitt. And, <laughs> and I looked down and said aloud to my friend Nicole, one weird thing i also have seizures you do yeah oh, wow. but they're not grandma they're when i faint i have a seizure my brother has it too it's just like a little seizure a little petite mal action yeah. petite mal yeah we're on the grandma side of yeah. the yeah <laughs> high stakes <laughs> wow wowzy all right time for tanya Okay, so, uh, you know, my first time, this is uh, the first time our bodies medically betrayed us. <laughs> All right. Or I just betrayed us in general. So, yeah, betrayed us in general. But I feel like my timeline is important here. So, um, uh, you know, like, I feel like my body betrayed me medically when I was floating around in some wound fluid. <laughs> <laughs> I do. This is a developing story. Um, uh, I identify as trans. And so I feel like I was supposed to be male and am not. So I'm stuck with this 
female. It was a very terrible thing that happened to you on 9-11, but uh, I'm stuck with these female parts that don't make any sense to me. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where you're like five years old and you're asking your parents and you're like waiting for you like, Hey, when's my, when's my penis going to arrive? And they're like, Oh, that's so cute. And stop talking about that and never talk about that again. Um, so, um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm open to any sort of questions and interactions. Anybody wants to, <laughs> to ask me cause I don't really know what my story is. Yes, yeah, because you weren't actually there to experience the actual betrayal. Yes, yes, it's just sort of but this you, thing. But you had it sort of, you had you were confronted by it a lot, like being dressed a certain way. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was always put in some, like, what I felt to be, like, fucking clown makeup. Like, I felt like some weird Sasquatch girl, <laughs> pink-laden, lacy, fucking weirdo with a purse. Like, like... You know what I mean? Like, if it makes you feel better, I felt that way too. I, I, but for me, it was more about um, never being petite. Oh, you know, yeah. never yeah. being small. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, feeling larger around everybody else. Yeah. So it made me feel very Sasquatchy. Sasquatchy. Yes. <laughs> the Loch Ness monster. Now I've heard people talk about it where they, you know, they feel like their breasts because you have considerably large breasts. Do you hate them? Oh, I fucking loathe them. I fucking loathe them. The, the, sen- the sentence that I hear, we were, we were in Paris two weeks ago. Two weeks ago? Yeah, we a Paris. couple of weeks ago. We were ago. standing in line for the catacombs. It was around the wrong line. <laughs> and there's nothing to do. We didn't have Wi-Fi. So you're just, you're, we were in line for like an hour and a half or maybe yeah. close to two hours. So it's a long line. You're just standing waiting to go into a hole full of skeletons. skeletons. Um, and out of nowhere, like out of a moment of silence... And I hear this sentence all the time. Oh, I can't wait to cut these fucking tits off. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't wait. I also, by the way, have this growth on my back. I don't know if you can see it. Let's see. What is that? I have a lipoma, so it's like I have a third tit that grows on my back. I'm fucking full of tits, and it enrages me. And I can't wait to get every single last one of them cut what off. What causes the lipoma? No, I don't know what causes they don't have that. A, they don't know a reason. I think. I think because your breasts are mad at you for being so mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah I think so. I think so. They're like, fuck you. Yeah, you fuck you. Like Here's another tip. So, do you have a? Are you like scheduled to do it, or do you want to? Have you saved money? It's expensive, probably. Yeah. Right? Well, if in order to get it covered by insurance, is you insurance? If that's even a possibility for people, you have to have some sort of letter so that the insurance company can scrutinize it and determine whether or not you're your or you know that they're going to grant you your right. surgery uh lots of people have to get the surgery without insurance but i'm trying the insurance route now i don't know this is a developing story would uh. you i like that it's a developing story yeah would you be interested in taking hormones at all or is that kind of dangerous in terms of cancers uh, and stuff like that yeah you know i would love to take this is the, this is something that i realized like i i often say to people like you know it's so cool like if, if it was, if everybody grew a beard, wouldn't that be so cool? Because you could completely shape your face and all of the girls are, all of the women are like, no, Tanya, that really wouldn't be very cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm like, 
Yes, I mean, I would love to take. I would love to. Take yes, Tanya, that is very cool. <laughs> it is right, right. When you it, learn how to do it, it the right it's way, it's too, not let me tell you right now. If you can really grow it, it's the coolest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks. I can't wait to fucking grow it. But I have these. I have family. I have to worry about. So I thought, hey, I'd do this podcast publicly. I love to do things I love to do everything awkwardly (laughs) I think it's perfect I will say I think a beard is to men what makeup is to women and I think a lot of gay men uh, or not even gay men I think heterosexual men uh, envy makeup because you look at ancient cultures and men and women wore makeup, so you could enhance and do whatever to your face. I mean, think about that whole glam rock movement where it was like everybody oh, yeah, yeah, gets to wear true. makeup. That's yeah. true. And you had you had the most like who but knows not their every lady gets to have a beard. Some ladies no, not every lady gets to have a beard. Do, but I wax it off. <laughs> I, I probably could have yeah. if I really tried. I spend a lot of time plucking and yeah. But I don't think there's anything weird about that because honestly. Um, Makeup is such a, it's a decorative facial thing that transforms people's faces. And it's only become kind of recent history that makeup is something that only women do. Yeah. But yeah. even when you think about heels, like heels were a male thing. Oh, yeah. Like oh, all yeah. this stuff that we consider female. I was like, no, 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 it was everybody. Yeah, yeah. Was male. Well, also piercings have, have had um, sort of a, a re- rebirth in a lot of ways. Like there was a time when men and women all wore jewelry of all different kinds. Yeah. And then I think there came to a period of like men really didn't wear jewelry. Maybe you had the one earring but then you were probably gay. And but only oh yeah, it had to be on what side? Only yeah. in European yeah. cultures. Yeah, because in, you know, in Africa but, like, and like... But now oh, it seems like heterosexual, homosexual, everybody's got bracelets, necklaces, like it seems to have come back again and, and, yeah. and be more universally accepted. Although I recognize that I live in the bubble of Southern California where if I went to Wyoming maybe no men straight men are wearing jewelry of any kind and I don't I know think they're wearing yeah about, I think they're wearing denim and they're wearing like chains. Beards, they're wearing chains at best. And yeah. they're, they're, they're some piercings <laughs> at, at best. They're, they're stretching their yeah. ear lobes and they're well, stretching. That's, that's from the 90s I mean like, oh, oh. those are gauges. Now, so, well hey I'm praying for ass hair. <laughs> you don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I disagree. And <laughs> it's an absolute joy. I don't and what's the only thing that hair. carries on the male chromosome is ear hair? Like, it's the only thing that you get. Like, almost everything. <laughs> it's really weird. Like, it's the only thing that's unique to the male chromosome is ear you get hair. ear hair. Uh, yeah. What a blessing. That, I can agree, is not a blessing. Yeah, I don't care about the ear, the ear hair. I know. We all know, except for Peter, uh, as women, the influx and... Sub, what is subflux? What is outflux of uh, flux flux of, Sub-flux. of estrogen causes issues? And yes. I uh, know a woman who used to be a man who, when she was transitioning, the estrogen she was on was making her pretty much insane. And I just know from taking birth control that uh, in the initial stages of taking it, I uh, there was this one point I haven't been on it for years, but I, when I was taking it where I was like, I think I'm going insane. Something's going wrong. What's going on? Why do I feel crazy? And then, yeah. and also the point where I'm like, I need to go get medical help because I feel insane. Yeah, yeah. And then mm-hmm. popping my birth control pill and going, oh, this is what's making you crazy. <laughs> like th- you're taking a, a synthetic version of something that's yeah. making you insane. Estrogen in general though, like the entire 
like stretch that a woman menstruates is basically like a time of insanity. Yeah. Like you are your true self when you're a child and then when you're after menopause. Yeah, but like estrogen makes, and we all have, we both have estrogen and men and women have testosterone and estrogen in them. So I wonder the way that a lot of people talk about how testosterone creates aggression and whatever, that it, it would be very interesting to see if you went on hormone therapy, what test we would have to do a follow-up yeah, episode yeah, yeah. to see someone who has dealt with estrogen fluctuations what happens when you deal with testosterone yeah. fluctuations well and i guess there's like a sweet spot there's a sweet spot with testosterone like if you start getting too much when you're transitioning if you start getting too much then it actually causes you to start making more estrogen because your body's trying to because your yeah i mean i don't know if it's a compensation thing i i don't know what the reasoning behind it is but i know like that's that's a thing like so you, I mean, I would think like, oh yeah, give me as much testosterone as you possibly can, but really you, you don't want to get that much because then your, your body starts generating more estrogen and I don't know. Have you talked to any, anyone who's transitioned and kind of like gotten the ropes? And... Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, people, in my experience, people talking to people who have transitioned or are transitioning from female to male, like they don't. They say there is a puberty, like a second puberty, but it doesn't seem like anybody really gets nutty. Like, yeah, that's good. Possibly with issues in a group. Yeah, I'm in a group. I have a good friend who's a comedian, Ian Harvey, who Mm -hmm. has transitioned and has a beautiful beard. Yes, you're gonna (laughs) fucking jealous. Are you gonna be a disgusting hipster when you have your beard? It makes me so fucking mad. Uh, (laughs) Makes me so fucking mad that it's getting ruined (laughs) by the time I get my beard. Your beard will be earned. It won't be some bullshit. I'm gonna. Oh my god, am I gonna get my fucking beard? I'm gonna get my fucking tits cut off, and I'm gonna get a fucking beard and a hairy chest and ass hair. Sorry, I'm not woman-hating right now. It's no, it's all right. No, but it is so... It's like, I love my boobs so much, I can't I can't imagine... I hate my boobs so much. And and so it's like, that is such a... It's Yeah, like, I really love my boobs, and I... Um, it's, it's, it's like my mother episode. She's going to be mad. Um, but I remember she asked me something, because she heard me say something about um, feeling kind of asexual or whatever in high school, and... She just wanted to make sure, being a very loving, open mom, she just wanted to make sure that it wasn't something I was denying of myself. And I was like, no, 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 mom. It's, I I was six foot freshman year. Like, we're dealing with a whole separate thing. Yes, yes. But I very, very much love all the feminine things about me. And the part of me that I think is very old fashioned that pops up that goes like, well, are you, you sure? Because that's surgery. Ugh. That I, when someone says I hate this part of me, mm-hmm. I go, I, I 100% respect that and go, yeah. I know, yeah, I know what you find precious about your body and what you've yeah. despised. No, I'm and I don't, I'm yeah. such a girl, like, I live in and high heels get, and makeup. But and, I even think, like, what it's, it's not even like a girl being high heels and makeup, it's like, I, the things I hate about my body are my, you know, the chub or the whatever. Oh, sure, but sure. the feminine no, the works, shape. And yeah, I yeah. love, yeah. Too. I love yeah, being, yeah, yeah. like, Hourglassy and curvy. Yeah, I yeah. do not want to be square and boxy. No, I want to be square and boxy from forever. <laughs> and then ask, I'm not. 
Um, can I ask you two questions? And uh, yes. forgive me if they come across insensitive in the least. Oh, yeah. uh, but the first one is, is there anything that you are scared about in doing this transition? Or do you going into it with complete confidence? I'm, I'm afraid of uh, dying in surgery. And Fair. I'm afraid mm-hmm. of... Don't make a joke about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or do. I mean, well, well, actually, I'm getting yeah. my third boob removed okay. next week, actually. And oh. I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be under some anesthesia. I have a little anxiety about, like, you know... Um, but, uh, and then I also have fear about my, I have fear around my family, Okay. my family, because they don't know. Hello. And I don't think they listen to podcasts, so. Okay. <laughs> it's a Christmas present. Yeah. yeah. Merry Christmas. Right. Yeah, it um, comes out December yeah. Where is your family from? Yeah. Well, my mother's in the panhandle of Florida and my father is retired to North Carolina, so. Okay. So I'm yeah. not going to make any judgments on those locations, yeah. but it sounds like a tough road to hope. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so you travel around a lot. Well, yeah, but also, but also very strict, and you must be a certain way. Mm -hmm. All right. So here's my second question question that might be insensitive: is go for it. Growing up, when you were watching TV and stuff, like who was your guy? The guy that every (laughs) little boy looks at and goes, "When I'm a man." That's the guy I'm gonna be. Right. I want to. Well, there are a couple. Okay, I would like to hear a few. Because I feel but like... I had a real fucking serious, embarrassing obsession <laughs> with Lou Ferrigno. That's the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Incredible Hulk. Yes. And also Steve Austin, Six Million Dollar Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to fucking be Steve Austin. I'm going to be motherfucking Steve Austin, You're... you guys. Oh, yeah. 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 Tanya, thank you yeah. for... Yeah. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I mean, I don't think it's a surprise or anything, but I don't. I didn't assume that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I feel I, like that's such an internal thing. I really, genuinely have no, like, I don't think when a woman dresses like a hundred percent masculine and does whatever that they want to be a man. I just think like, it's yeah. Well, fun when you're talking about like clothes, that, and it's fun to be like, yeah. You know, well, when you're talking about that comfortability with um with your body or female stuff, like yeah. I don't. I don't have any of that. I admire that in people like, like in Mary Jo, like she has comfortability with her feminine side or I perceive people on the street as being like totally fucking rock solid with like their, I'm female. But I feel like I'm this dude that is, has these things stuck on me that I don't belong to me. people who are trans seem to be more in touch with that more in touch with male or female than people who aren't like yeah. i don't feel particularly feminine or masculine but when i hear people talk about wanting to switch they seem to have a real clear idea like i mean laverne cox is mm-hmm. so much more like than i i mean yeah, yeah, like yeah. everybody else, like it's like if that's what you think a woman if that's what being a woman is like you are way more female than i yeah. am yeah um so I definitely think there's, I don't, I don't, never, I never make assumptions about something. Yeah. Like cool. Are we back in? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, mostly, so my, my, the first thing I'll say about, like, for anybody listening, just to be clear, <laughs> I am Tanya's girlfriend. Yes. Which is not to say that she is my girlfriend, because she's my boyfriend. Yes. Um, so was this also a surprise to you? No. I'm just kidding. It wasn't. <laughs> tonight it was not a surprise to me tonight, and it's never been a surprise to me. Yeah. And, I have never dated a woman before, neither had Tanya. So, on the one hand, apparently I'm not gay. Like, one of the things that is sort of interesting to me about this is, 
one of the things I said very early on when we first got together was um, to me like this never would have worked if she wasn't so male like I knew that sort of intrinsically like there was this male thing there even before it had ever been verbalized like, I, I just I just knew it yeah. and I and remember my sister actually. asking me when I came out uh, my sister said to me what does this mean? Like, if you guys were to break up, would you date other women? And I was like, I don't know. I, this is totally new territory for me. I have no idea. I don't... And I had a lot of rage around, like, identifying as gay. And, like, I don't... This is so crazy. And I don't... Part of it was, like, I had never been classified by my sexuality before. So that was just... You know, I was, that was a whole weird thing. I... My... I, two things I'll say. One is, I'm very calm about it, which I keep thinking... That I'm naive or 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 um, not immature. That's the wrong word. Naive. That I should be more concerned about what is likely to come over the next few years. Like I sh I feel like I'm very sort of laissez-faire about it. It's like yep, she's trans and she's gonna have some surgeries and some shots in her ass and things are gonna change. We're gonna play the pronoun game and pick a name and you know life will go on. Like I feel really like what's the big deal? And then there's this part of me that's like, but you know it's a big deal. Like, something's going to happen, and maybe, you know, maybe... Yeah, but you know what the thing... I'm going to badly paraphrase this, but Laverne Cox, she's, mm -hmm. she has said, like, um, her transition has become, like... She sort of... It was kind of really terrible paraphrasing, but it's like a removal of all the obstructions. Like, she's more... She is herself. She's she, who she yeah. always has been. And then, the, the, of course, there's a fear that... Um, testosterone or any part of this process would change Tanya so dramatically that it could change our relationship you know if, if you become a completely different person how does that mess with I don't really feel like that's going to happen but there is a small part of me that's like I guess that's a possibility which I would never stand in the way of you know you becoming your authentic self that's what this is all about right. and I would what I feel like is I've always seen your authentic self like this isn't was not a surprise to me it doesn't scare me and I don't have any concern about that so I just have to assume that that means it wouldn't change anything but I don't know like it's very unknown well I feel um, like it's that I, to me it's to me it's um I am who I am that part's not going to change. It's just going the the things that obstruct my path are going to be out right. Of the, way. the only thing yeah. that I that I think we have no control over is testosterone. It yeah, just hormonal dramatically change your you know biological physiological makeup, which could affect who you are. And it may not. It may be completely like not Steve a big Austin. deal. <laughs> How do you feel about beards? You like beards? I don't really like them. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be the problem. Yeah, yeah. everything's yeah, every every gonna be fine. <laughs> a lot of beard fights. You need to have a beard for uh, some uh, period I, of time. I understand. You can you can have them on vacations. Behaving <laughs> <laughs> <gave> beard. <laughs> we do not have to tell your body betrayal story because I do find this subject very fascinating. But who's hers? His? This? Yeah. Subject fascinating. But I'm not well, putting gender on it. Well, it depends on time. I mean, I, I, it's, well, we, I it's been an hour, track. so... But I would... If, do you want to tell your body... Sure, I mean, I can. Let's, let's finish should it I, up. Should I tell my story? Yes, All tell right. your story. 
So my story also starts um, at uh, at the very beginning of my existence, but the story that I'm going to tell happened much, much later. <laughs> but, but I will start this story by saying because because this the story that I'm going to tell is is born of a lifelong um, uh, struggle with weight and food and um, and and I believe that that started very early because. I was born in need of life-saving surgery, but was not um, didn't weigh enough to have the surgery. I had a hole in the muscle under my ovary, Oof. and that if the ovary fell down and strangulated, it could kill me. Um, oh so uh, I had to have surgery right away. And um, is that I, called something? I've never heard of that. I had a hernia. I mean, it, it, it's as a, a hernia, oh. but uh, 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 hiatal hernia, no, inguinal hernia. Excuse me. Um, so, and I, and I had to gain weight rather quickly as a child in order to be of safe surgical weight. And so, um, and what the doctors told my mother was, um, don't let her cry because the act of crying could actually cause the problem to happen, cause the ovaries to drop down into the, the hole in this muscle, and then the muscle will contract around the ovaries and, and then all hell will break loose. And so, and when my mother said, well, what should I do if she cries? They said, feed her. So, um, and for those of you who are watching, I know I sound like a size six. For those who are um, but I'm not. And, uh, and that's okay. Like, I'll never be a size six, and that's fine. But it, what, what I believe is that the message, the, the, the little lesson that I learned as an infant is, if you cry, you'll die, so eat. So and I think my life has sort of been led that way. Um, if I if I'm upset and uh, and afraid, then I eat. And so I, I've done the yo-yo diets my whole life, um, and uh, and I've done everything you can think of. I had a mad love affair with Fen Fen in the nineties. <laughs> um, I I uh, you know I've done the the vegetable soup diet and I've done the I've done the Atkins diet and I've done the blood type diet and I've done <laughs> I've called Jenny like I've done <laughs> I've done everything you could possibly do in excess in extreme I've spent money uh, countless dollars I've gone to meetings I've weighed in I've you know I've done it all and nothing other than Fen Fen. Uh, <laughs> nothing worked and I would have stayed on Fen Fen I don't care how many monkeys hearts exploded I was perfectly happy to stay completely medicated on Fen Fen I have never been happier I would be like I love plain tuna and all I need is a half a can a day and I was, by the way I also went the pharmaceutical route for years I was I was heavy into to coke and speed anything to to control my appetite at regardless of cost um, I've heard someone say in the past, like the price that I was willing to pay to ease my suffering, there was no limit to that. It's just there's uh, there's nothing I wouldn't be willing to pay. So when I found out that there was a surgery that I could get that would um, keep me from eating large quantities, I thought, well, that is the only thing I have yet to try. Um, and it wasn't. It's not stomach stapling, which thank God I didn't do because you can't reverse that. Um, but the story that I'm now going to tell, so what has led me to this moment is that, uh, you know, this backstory that I'm going to have the lap band uh, put on my body, which is, for anybody who doesn't know, is a, it's basically a, 
rubber band that goes around a hollow rubber band that goes around the top of the stomach and then they fill that rubber band with um, fluid and as it inflates and it tightens around the stomach it creates a small pouch at the top and when you eat that little pouch fills up and tells your brain you're full so it's a very small amount it's a couple ounces of food and then you know it slowly slowly works its way into the rest of the stomach and out into the body so you're not actually dissecting any part of your body like with stomach stapling where they're actually cutting things off and moving your intestines none of that happened um, <clears throat> and as my mother likes to say, I'm a very fragile magnolia blossom. <laughs> I have a lot of um, allergies. I'm very sensitive. I'm allergic to like ivory soaps and Tide and things like that and um, everything with hair except people. I take a lot of drugs to have my dogs. Um, I'm allergic to like 136 different foods. Like I have a very sensitive body and unbeknownst to me, I am allergic to lap bands. Um, so I didn't know this. So, uh, the, before we get to the, the part where my body betrayed me, I had the lap band and I, and I, bitch, by the way, this was before insurance would cover it. So I paid cash for this. I paid like $30,000 for the lap band and I was super excited. And, um, I had, uh, a last supper and at my mother's house and I was like, because I'm never going to eat again, and it was total. I was excited by this. I like the freedom of being out of food was so exciting to me. Like I just, I can't explain, you know, what it's like. And this sounds very dramatic, but this is how I feel. Like I am a slave to food most of the time in my life. Always have been a slave to food. Um, there have been times in my life when I have been less of a slave through, you know, conscious eating and mindfulness and meditation and all sorts of different things that I've tried and drugs and all sorts of <laughs> different things that I've tried. But, um, I, but, but food is the horse that, that pulls me across the, I don't know what this metaphor is. Okay. So, um, so last supper, like you name it, there was like this feast. I mean, we had like, you know, like a seafood tower and we had pates and cheeses and breads and baked goods and, you know, hot food and cold it was like a like a like an Quite acapulco good, yeah. brunch on Ooh. a sunday I mean, it was just all there it was like you know, all you can eat buffet and drinking and like i mean i i don't remember much of it uh i just remember like i mean it was all there and then um went to um uh to the hospital and 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 uh had the surgery and then um <clears throat> the next um six months just was free was so free I was absolutely maybe not even six months it was like five months um probably I, I, to be honest it was probably four months because that fifth month things started to go south but I was in denial about it but um I just didn't need to eat I didn't need it and I didn't I didn't have um I was free of it, and I had, for the very first time, my whole life, I had hope. And um, I was close to 300 pounds, I think, when I had the surgery, so I was a lot heavier than I am now, but, um, and I quickly dropped, like, 100 pounds, like, really fast, and it was awesome. And um, I had saved clothes, because I had always been, like up and down a million sizes so I had tons and tons of clothes so going shopping in my closet was like a daily thing I'm just like oh I can wear this and I can wear this and I can no longer wear this but 
being a fat person in my head, no matter what size my body is, I am a fat person in my head, I would always save the big clothes because I'm always going to end up back there. So I would always save them so they'd go into a bag and somewhere and then, anyway. <clears throat> um, but I had hope. And then um, my body started doing really weird things. I started to get a lot of um, uh, GERD, like, um, you know, heartburn, really bad heartburn. And um, then I started um, throwing up anything I ate. Like, and it was only very small amounts of food that I could eat anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I started throwing those up and I, and I, I kind I think I knew deep down, like, something's gone wrong and it's going to have to be fixed and I don't know what that means but I didn't tell anybody at first like I just mm. was so afraid that this hope was going to be taken from me that I, I just couldn't tell anyone um, but then it got to a point where uh, I couldn't keep anything down and it got really scary where um, if I drank a glass of water and then bent over it just poured <gasps> back out of me. Oh, wow. um, my esophagus was was stopping working. And what I found out was that if I had waited any longer, um, I would have lost my esophagus. Oh, and, my God. Um, they would have had to remove it because it was starting to <sighs> atrophy. Oh, uh, Because this thing was, was just, my body was rejecting it, and it was, like, causing this allergic reaction inside. And the thing that I should mention, too, like, so they put this band on it, and then there's a tube, and the tube is attached to a little valve, which is right under the skin, so you can kind of feel it, because then when they would go into inflate or deflate it, they would put the needle in there, withdraw, or, or put air in to make the thing open or close. Mm -hmm. And this was very early on in the lap band, and by the way, like, I don't know if you guys remember this, because this was the 90s, but if you lived in L.A., at the time, there were billboards for this procedure, everywhere like this was the big thing you know this was the mm -hmm. life-saving thing that everybody was going to be able to do this and there were just billboards everywhere with these beautiful bodies of like look what you know dr fayed or whoever um, <laughs> and me and marina del rey or wherever and uh <laughs> yeah and um so i and I guess I, I don't know that this is relevant, but at the time that I decided to do this, I was like, well, I'm going to document this procedure. So I have all this whole process. So I have all of this on videotape. I have my surgery on videotape, everything on videotape, including the procedures where they were trying to figure out what was wrong with me, where I had to go and have cameras put down my throat mm -hmm. and like horrible, just crying. And then, um, so when, when I, when I went in and, and found out from the doctor that, um, they were going to have to take it out. I knew this was what was going to happen, but I, I went into the uh, into the appointment with my friend who was filming it, and um, they said, you know, your body is rejecting this. You're going to lose your esophagus. Um, you will not be able to ever eat or drink anything again. You will live on a tube. We have to take this thing out, or you're really going to be in trouble. You're already in trouble, but it's going to get really bad if we don't do this today. Um, and uh, I thought, well, you know, if, if I live on a tube... Mm. Oh. Um, I see where you're going. Keep going. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, All right. That sounds dieting sense. Take out the esophagus. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, you can't eat. Yeah. You know, that solves that problem. Nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. Right? right? <laughs> 
<laughs> and um, I was crying so hard. It was completely irrational, but I was I was just crying for the loss of this thing that I had put my whole, you know, I had hope. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it goes without saying, I would imagine that, you know, this is a short version of a very long, lifelong story of, obviously, I know that I am not defined by my body. I have worth beyond the number on a scale, all of that stuff. I've had every kind of therapy you can think of forever. So it's not like I'm just some idiot. I am a little bit of an idiot, but I'm not as big of an idiot as you might think if you're listening to the story and know nothing about me. Um, but the one of the, the worst moments, and I remember this, and uh, is coming out of the um, examination room. My mother was waiting in the waiting room, and I'm crying so hard, and my mother thought I was going to tell her that I was dying. Like, she thought that they, that uh, they had found some tumor in there, that that's what was happening, and that I was coming out to tell her that I was dying. And in fact, all I was telling her was that they're going to take this thing out of me, and then I will be fine. Um, so I had to have surgery, emergency surgery, to remove it. Um, and they took that thing out of me. And um, I think the saddest part about this, I mean, there's a lot of sad about this, but the, the saddest part about this is that I really blamed myself. For like a year I, or, or more, I blamed myself that I had failed, that, that, you know, like I had, that the, that my body rejecting this thing was somehow my fault and that, I don't know. And, and my weight has continues to go up and down and I do better when I don't eat sugar and flour and when I, you know, weigh and measure my food and, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a junkie of all things. Food is, is no different for me than I was, I was, you know, a, a drug addict as a teenager and it's just no different. Um, but, uh, I guess I should wrap this up by saying today I have hope. <laughs> I do. I do. I have hope. I have Triscuits, which yeah. are, um, they're Full complex carbohydrates. And I'm just going to go ahead and say like, you're a beautiful woman. Oh, thank I, you. Yeah. Right? I mean, I know this battle is, is real and, in, yeah. but it's also in your head. Yes, absolutely, and I suffer from dysmorphia, and like I said earlier, like doesn't matter what size I am or what what I weigh in my head, I am nine hundred pounds. Like that's that's always in my head, um, which is heartbreaking. I will also say I feel like so much of our want to be thin is to attract someone, and um, you've. Steve Austin, babe. Yeah, he's a fucking million yeah. dollar man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Wait till his beard comes in. Yeah, yeah. On vacation only. On vacation beard. You know, but yeah. I don't, and I actually think I hear what you're saying. But it, it actually, and yes, of course that plays into it. But it's more than that. Like for me, it, it's even beyond. It's way beyond that. It's, it's a, it's all wrapped up in my self worth. And the truth is, I don't really know. Like I, I don't know. I don't know why it, it has been such a um, a haunting beast oh, that mean, I've carried around. It messes with me too. Like I think yeah. it messes with all of us. Like we yeah. all are nuts about it. I, we all know it's illogical. We yeah. all know our worth is not in our weight. Yeah. We all know that 
the history of like being heavy set used to mean you were wealthy and beautiful and being right, thin right, and right. you were like we all know we all have math brains that understand it and yeah. still go to that thing of like I'm obese because my hip bones aren't like can't cut glass like we <laughs> right. all yeah, go yeah. insane yeah. Yeah. yeah no it's true like I, I I will sit and think like oh I I think I can see my clavicle. I do have to think. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, I did have to just unbutton my pants. Yeah. <laughs> just did it. You guys, so. I think the unbuttoning of Alana's pants <laughs> brings us, circles us back <laughs> to the end, to the, the sort of business of the podcast. Yes. Where um, we say thank you to our guests. Yes, we thank you very much for sharing your stories with us. Yes, because they were amazing. We had yeah. a really nice ride. We time. really did. Yeah, we really got into it. <laughs> and it's time for Shameless Plugs. Shameless Plugs. So, uh, PD Flu, you want to tell us your Twitter handle or what things you've got going on? Uh, sure, you can... Uh... <laughs> Find me at uh, Feedback Jones on Twitter. Uh, you can find me Wednesday nights at 9.30 at IO West with uh, my group Heyday, who I missed tonight because these stories were fantastic yeah. and, worth, and worth missing when I tell hey, Heyday. Hold on. Spell Feedback Jones because there's a Z in there, isn't there? Yeah, there is. I really need to let that go. No, I think for people to know. So it's yeah, at, yeah. At Feedback Jones, and Jones is spelled J-O-N-Z-E. And you can also find me on the Peter Fluet Fluet podcast, which will start new episodes in 2016. But go ahead and check out the old ones. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Let's go to Alana. Alana, shameless plug. Um, I feel like I have too many. Do it. Do uh, as many as you want. So if, if you liked this, uh, <laughs> I have a podcast uh, for parents. Or not, if you just like to listen to what parents go through. Um, it's You can find it at yourmamasapodcast.com. And then all the information is there. It's a blog. It's a thing. It's, is it there's so much. It's Y-E-R-M-A-M-A. Okay. And it's for the website, it's M-A-M-A-S. Yourmamasapodcast.com. And my Twitter, my own personal Twitter is Ilana in L-A. I-L-A-N-A in L-A. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> well, did I mention that this is a time of change? Um, <laughs> my uh, my Twitter handle right now is T Chick McClure. Ooh. Whoa. That's T Chick T C H I C K McClure M C C L U R E. And uh, and uh, you can find my photography there and an occasional tweet about something. <laughs> And um, my Twitter handle, this is Mary Jo, um, I'm uh, Mary Jo L.A. Um, and then, um, the, what do you want to say yours before we say the podcast? Nah, because it's all, it's all it's part all of the same, stuff. Yeah. So the podcast is it, at my first time pod. At my first time pod. Spelled out. No numbers. Right? Yeah, no numbers. At my first time pod. <laughs> For my first time podcast.net. com was taken. Also spelled out. No numbers. No numbers. And um, of course, when this you know is up on the website, all of this stuff that we just said will be written out. All the Twitter handles will be there. Photos of our beautiful faces will be there. Yes. And, um, and there will be some music that has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but will be weird and ethereal, composed by Ian, Ian Smith. Smith. That's me. 
Our technical guy who participated more in this conversation than normal. Yeah, it was Warm nice. Enough. Warm enough. Good. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to us. We had a, a fantastic time. We'll come back January first or whatever the next. Yeah, we don't be. know what it'll be, but it might be. Hey, exciting. if you have an idea for first time you'd like to hear, yeah, send us a message. Tweet us. Tweet us at my first time pod. All right. Yay! 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 Let's eat.